A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Welcome back to the Poor Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poor Hitter. Catch me on X at Dead Poor Hitter. Special guest today is Travis Starchik. Catch him on thescore.com, writing long-form baseball articles. He even authored two books. Very into fantasy baseball. We talk a lot about baseball, fantasy baseball. Awesome chat with Travis. I truly dug this one full, fully. Come check out the Poor Hitter Patreon. Patreon.com, put in Pull Hitter Fantasy into the search box. Also, my pinned tweet on X. Come check it out. We have so much things going on in the Discord. You get Discord access when you sign up for any other tier aside from the launch angle only tier. If you just want to catch the other launch angles, you can do that as well. Come check it out. You get a free week trial if you want to see what's going on. And the Discord is popping. We have player breakdowns. I'm doing DC diaries, pick by pick of what I'm doing in my draft champions, as well as draft boards. Have an OC cheat sheet right now for you getting ready for your online championships on the NFBC. Cheat sheet color-coded who I think you should pick, not pick, reach up for, stay away from, all that fun stuff with some blurbs for some players as well. So come check it out. Hope to see you there soon and talk to you in the Discord. We are waiting. All right, enjoy this podcast with Travis. Oh, and go join the Champions League, NFBC. Up to over 130 people now. We're going to get to 200. The pot's going to keep rising. It's going to be the premier event of this season in 2025 and going forward. Let's go. Make it happen. Champions League will be info attached in my in the notes of the podcast if you want to link to it. It brings you right to the document that shows you exactly what's going on in the Championship League if you want to get some more interest on that. All right. Cool. Later. All right, welcome into another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable fantasy baseball advice. I have a special guest today. His name is Mr. Travis Sawchick. You've probably seen him all over the internet, um, writing fantastic baseball articles and all sports as well. Travis, thank you for joining the show today. What's going on? Long time listener, first time caller. Pleasure <laughs> to uh, be with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I know you have um, a pretty big, extensive background. You've written some books. I don't think I've had anyone on the show yet who's written a book. So that's that's uh, that's a first for the Pull Hitter podcast. I feel like I'm stepping up into the real world here. <laughs> well, I mean, if I can do it, many people can do it. We could use a uh, uh, some you know NFC books, or maybe there's a story inside a main event season or something someday. So maybe we'll someone in this community can write one. I would read it. Yeah, I'm. Hey, listen. Uh, I'm keeping my book open on to my routes that I would want to go down in my future. So I won't shut the book on that for sure. <laughs> as long as I could speak the words and maybe uh, 
anyone can just like translate it into actual readable words because my hands just can't really take typing or writing that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried I'm gonna need uh, some some carpal tunnel surgery someday, and we'll see. We'll see. A lot of mileage on the <laughs> the, the hand joints. You know? <laughs> yes, it it it's very stressful. I went from being a carpenter to like doing this um and and being at the computer a lot more in my life and it's such a transition it's such a different body ache and yeah my hands are just i had carpal tunnel surgeries and they uh it it it, it helped but it's still you know it's still not the best that it should be mm. for sure <laughs> but um so let us get to know a little bit more about you you know um about your baseball background sports background in general how you ended up doing what you're doing today yeah, I always loved, I grew up in a baseball household and my dad was a huge fan. So I sort of uh, was in that culture early and I I knew I wasn't going to play at a high level <laughs> pretty early on. <laughs> but I also didn't want a, uh, I didn't want a job I dreaded and I didn't, you know, you go to nine to, you're nine to five and you just, uh, dread leaving the office and think about going back the next day. So I had to, I wanted to avoid that. And I, I liked writing and I, you know, thought I could put those uh, interests together. And so far it's, it's worked out. I, I like my job. I like, uh, I love baseball. So it's, I've been fortunate to have those interests come together and uh, I'm I'm still around the game a little bit. I coach my nine-year-old's baseball team the last the last few years, so that's been an interesting experience as a uh, little league coach. But that's the extent of uh... oh, and I play on a vintage baseball team, so that's the ex I still have my hand a little bit in the physical aspect of the game. But uh, yeah, that's that's my interest in baseball, and I I took sort of a detour. Like I always wanted to be in a have a pro baseball beat or be kind of a national level writer, but I had to start out uh, back in the day when newspapers were still kind of a viable uh, career path and uh, a healthier industry. I started off uh, a small paper in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, covering preps, and I went to Myrtle Beach, uh, ended up covering Coastal Carolina. Then I covered Clemson for the Post and Courier in Charleston, sort of moving up. Back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you're still kind of working in media industry and newspapers, almost like climbing the minor league baseball ladder where I started in rookie ball, then you're in high A. And then, and then I got my big break, I guess, covering the, the Pirates for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review in 2013. Uh, and I was there when they ended that 20 consecutive years of, of losing. And it was a really cool time to, the city really was interested in those teams and, uh, it was just a really fun story to cover. And then I ended up at Fangraphs and 538 and then, then the score. So that's a really rambling, long answer of uh, my career. And I wrote a couple books along the way. Uh, yeah, so that's, I'll just stop there. That's how I got here. That's awesome. No, I love to hear stories like that because, um, you know, maybe a lot of people don't really understand the route to get there, you know, and that I think something these days that's different from, um, back back then 20 years ago it was just a lot of people feel like they could just earn their right to have a job <laughs> these days where it it takes work it takes 
work ethic to, you know, to establish yourself in a skill level and, and, and to, you know, work your way up. Like you said, um, I think it's, you know, the, the Instagram world of the days just wants to look at people and be like, oh, I could do this and, and be a star and, and, and be famous and make money. But, um, you know, there's, there's still work out there that is, that includes, you know, um, good old fashioned skills, like investigating, reporting and, and writing. So, um, so coaching, coaching nine-year-olds, how's that for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I've written a lot in recent years about player development practices and the mm -hmm. MVP machine was all about what, uh, Ben Lindbergh and I thought, you know, there's the money, there's a first data revolution, which was Moneyball and undercovering like what skills are undervalued and what inefficiencies are in the marketplace. But then we felt there's a second data revolution, which is really how can you use information to build better skills and the technology and the practices. So not that I was, you know, I wasn't putting an edutronic camera on these kids or anything, but I did think about concepts of uh, what kind of train, what kind of First, you want to make practice fun and what kind right. of training could you do? Uh, so I even talked to some folks on like hitting Twitter and uh, people, some folks work at like <laughs> driveline and for teams, like what would you do with eight, nine year olds? And they were, uh, they said, you know, make some, gamify some drills, have them try to, like we would set up tees by the outfield fence and have them try to hit the ball, have like a home run derby and each time you hit a ball over the fence, you move the tee back and whoever ends up with the farthest, you know, hit home run of sorts is, uh, is that is the champion of that drill of sorts, but it's a way to kind of, instead of t telling them, Hey, try to do this mechanically. It's like, here's a barrier. Here's a constraint. Try to think about the body will kind of self-organize and you'll mm. teach yourself to hit the ball over the fence and have that proper swing path. So I did try to borrow a few things. Not not going too crazy or anything, but uh, let's let's try to teach these kids. A little. Let's get them in the pool air ball launch, launch angle revolution yes. earlier. Yes. Uh, I'm sure some parents watch are like, "What the hell is this guy doing with my son?" But uh, we had some fun. <laughs> you didn't show up with a big ball, uh, a big bag of plyo balls, and, and right. have them, you know, torquing their body in weird angles and slamming it into the wall. And people were like, "All right, this guy's not the coach this year." We yeah. I don't, maybe this spring, because now they start to pitch to each other. It's no more coach pitch. So right. uh, maybe the plyo balls, plyo balls are coming out this spring. That's a big step. You know, um, I, I watched my nephew, um, the, you know, go through the stages of playing now. He's in high school now, but I remember him. Like, that was a big step watching my brother, you know, feed them, you know, really nice pitches and to then pitching for themselves. The games change a lot, obviously. They have to develop some sort of uh, ability to, you know, kids aren't that accurate at that age, you know, <laughs> it's just a, such a different game to watch. Um, what is the, you mentioned the vintage league. What is that? It's, uh, it's baseball played. It's with 19th century rules and it's sort of, oh. I had a friend who was involved in it and, you know, I wasn't really doing much athletically and I sort of wanted to be part of a team. So I've been playing for a few years and we'd travel around uh, Northern Ohio and yeah, we we're a bunch of weirdos who dress up in 19th century baseball uniforms and 
play with okay. like the 1860s rules That's and it's cool. it's not it's not too competitive which i like but it still gets you out there running the bases right making throws across a legitimate like infield and uh no gloves so it's it's interesting you have to make some business decisions at third base sometimes <laughs> if you're if you want to get in the way of the ball is uh a little softer it's a little softer but it's not that soft and some of the ones that are fresh out of the package are uh they're legitimate hard balls basically so wow yeah yeah i mean i can imagine i mean i used to I used to really enjoy when it was a bad bounce or like a high chop and like barehanding the balls, but I mean, I wouldn't really want to barehand it, you know, consistently. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There's, I'll just let this one go by. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some folks who have made some poor decisions at uh, the hot court uh, and shortstop. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to get injured playing vintage baseball. Oh man, yeah, definitely. <laughs> At that least sounds, I don't. That yeah. sounds interesting. And and one other thing too, I wrote down. Um, you know, newspapers. I really, you know, it was such a big part of my life growing up. You know, just growing up in New York, and my brother and my dad used to go get the New York Post and the Daily News every single day, both of them. And I used to just read it front to back. You know, and I just something about having those box scores in your hand and like thumbing through them and folding the newspaper if you were outside and it was windy. Um, and then I remember too, I actually just found a couple um, of the national. I don't know if you remember that publication. Um, and it was, I just found a couple, me and my brother have a bunch of memorabilia, then we just saved them all. And I was just looking through it and it was so well put together. The box scores were just amazing, had all sports in it. Man, it was just it's just a different life with newspapers every day, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's amazing. You have national uh copies of the national because that was sort of the original athletic in print. Right? 100%. Or that, that was the idea. And uh yeah, there's some things I I mean I similar experience. I loved reading the sports section every day, especially on a Sunday with the notebooks and the Sunday columns. Uh, the first fantasy leagues I was ever in and like junior high, high school, it was pre-internet. I'm that old. So, or, or <laughs> yeah. I mean, there weren't, there at least were not websites supporting fantasy leagues. So we would have to retrieve statistics from the newspaper box scores and the leagues never made it through the full season because no one wanted to keep up with, uh... then you had up the West coast, late box scores that never mm -hmm. been making them paper. So yeah, mm -hmm. I do. I'm, I do. There's, there's parts of the newspaper business that I think we miss is just general public where you read stories you wouldn't be uh, exposed to otherwise because we're sort of in our own silos of what we follow on social media and whatnot. But right. yeah, those, those days, unfortunately are not coming back for the most part. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm nostalgic about them, them too. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I think all the ones that I kept, uh, that I have of the Nationals, all the one with either um, the Bulls winning uh, a championship or or some kind of playoff game. I was just a huge Bulls fan back in the day. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a couple of good ones, and uh, I love the. Yeah, we, me and my brothers, have so much uh, old stuff that um, we have to put together somehow. I think we might start a podcast one of these days. The the three of the four of us combined, we have so much history um, behind the game and stories too. But okay, so you just mentioned briefly. Uh, so you got started in fantasy pre pre internet days, and um, get tell us the story too about like your fantasy baseball life and how you've come to uh, even compete in the NFBC these days. 
Yeah, I so I started, you know, junior high, high school, I guess. We'd go over or some friend would host and we would go around the living room or basement wherever we were and make our picks. And then I started with my dad playing in, I don't know if you ever played it, but like the CDM salary cap leagues. Uh, and that this was pre-internet too, where you would have to like mm-hmm. call in and make your transactions. <laughs> you, like, you called a human being you called a- <laughs> on Sunday or whatever. And you said, yeah, I want to put Juan Gonzalez back in the lineup. And you know, you charged like $5 or whatever it was. Uh, and That's I, so crazy. And I kept playing in that as a transition to an online platform. Uh, I had one, one really good finish. I think it was it was the uh, Edinson Bulkes rookie year. Oh wow! Yeah, so that I think I finished fifth overall, fourth or fifth. It was a good, uh, and that was uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. But then I got out of Roto, and for whatever reason, I think you know, distracted with career and whatnot, out of. And I did play a dynasty league with my friends. It's still ongoing. It's like our 15th season now. Uh, but it was during the, I guess, the pandemic year. I must have been listening. I started listening to podcasts, fantasy baseball podcasts, and I kept hearing about the NFC platforms and everyone competing in it. It's like, all right, I, w- I want to try my shot at this. And I think I played in an, a 2020 online championship in the shortened season, I think mm-hmm. was my first. I, I need to double check that. But I started playing then, and then I've been, and then I started playing in the main event in 2021. And uh, yeah, it hasn't gone very well so far, but I've been a pretty middling player, but it's been a learning experience. And there's some overlap where I, there's so much good analysis in the fantasy baseball community. It'll get me thinking about store ideas or trends for my, you know, my actual job. Mm-hmm. And it sharpens, even if I am losing <laughs> money in a given year, <laughs> I think there are some benefits that the crossover and it just, it also keeps your interest level. Like you're super locked in on every box scoring game in a way that uh, you, I don't think you can be unless you have a you know, significant investment in something. So that's how I you know, arrived at your podcast today and looking forward to playing in another main and in the Champions League this year. I think I'm going to draft in Vegas on uh, the 23rd. I think the 11 a.m. window is, oh, is nice right now. Yeah. And I haven't, I've, I haven't drafted live in a long time. Like even my friends, the Dynasty League I'm in, it's always on an online platform. And uh, so I don't, do you have any live tips about what to oh, do man. in a live so... setting? So my first live experience was New York and it was a little muted, you know, it's not as big. There's only two, two rooms. Well, one room split into two. Um, and it was, it was a lot to take in. Um, but then when I went to Vegas last season for the first time, it was just, I mean, I'll just give, I'll just give yourself some extra time to just walk in there and just absorb how massive and cool like what is being set up and what you're about to do. Cause I just remember walking in and I put, I put my computer down at my, you know, at my table, at my chair, um, found my league, you know, and, and, and um, yeah, I just like looked around. It's like, man, this is, this is massive. And then all of a sudden you see people start trickling in and 
I guess your brain is so ready to draft and, and, and get it, you know, and get it on. But then you start seeing people that like you've either heard or read or, you know, talk to continuously, um, via Twitter or text and you finally either meet them or just, just, just crazy. And I don't know, I know a lot of people who went last year and, uh, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I saw you, but like they didn't introduce themselves and I would just want everyone to, you know, I, I think name tags would be great. You know, I haven't suggested that to Greg, but I think that would be a great idea because, um, just, just the experience of getting to meet people that have these crazy, uh, share a crazy obsession like you, you know, <laughs> and it's, right. but, and, to, and then, and then. I don't know. I never felt more focused during that draft. I think that was the most focused I've ever been doing anything in a long time. I just, just the, just, just it's so, I don't know. It's so invigorating just to be around nine league going at once. And you hear, you know, the, the, don't listen to the other leagues. That that's probably the best tip because you'll hear a name and you'll be like, what the fuck round are they up to? <laughs> Cause you know, like, I just remember it being like two, we were at pick 230 or 240 and I heard Brandon Nimmo and I'm like, what league just got Brandon Nimmo that late? You know? <laughs> but then vice versa, you hear, oh man, I think the one name I remember was Brad Boxberger. Someone said Brad Boxberger, another table and the guy up, I could see him. Like that's another thing too. Look around, like, look, don't, I know you go there with a computer or a magazine, but just observe and be aware of the, of, of everyone around you. you. You pick up on things or, and I seen the guy in my league just like did this, huh? You know, like this, this huh thing. And he just went on his computer and all of a sudden he was like, bread box. <laughs> okay. And I was like, what? That is nuts. So, uh, it's just a great experience overall, man. I, I, I'm excited that you're going to be there. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So, do you announce your picks personally, or do you enter them and then someone at a podium? It. Okay. So you you're shouting it. out your picks. You're shouting out your picks. Someone has an iPad, put it in into the into the system, and then the draft room acts the same. So you can add people into your queue, um, but you don't actually have to, you know, pick your you know, like make your pick. So you know you have your draft room up your roster grid same thing as a as a draft as a normal draft and yeah you just announce it and someone enters it into the system and the auction is is even another story because you know um as soon as a name is said they want you to wait until they say the player the dollar but before anyone calls out too because people will be like two three and they're like hold on hold on a second i didn't say what you know and so it's like a system to the auctions too but yeah, no, the main event, you got to shout it out and shout it out emph emphatically. That's the way you got to do it. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. 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 It's fun. It's definitely fun. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about how, like, you know, covering the like, inspiration of your articles coming from maybe some fantasy side of it. Is, is there anything that maybe crosses into um, fantasy from just playing baseball and writing about baseball that maybe like a bias or maybe a, like an advantage or a disadvantage that you have, um, like in your brain, you know, when you playing fantasy baseball? That's a good question. Uh, I, I probably have biases towards skills. I like, um, uh, like yourself, I'm 
I love guys who get into that kind of poolside air cheat code, mm-hmm. get into that poolside power. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, the uh, Jose Ramirez is the, the guys who outperform their expected home run totals. Yep. I, uh, I'm trying to better incorporate that. Uh, so I've been messing around with some, some ways to measure that and account for it. Uh, yeah, there's some, easy. there'll be teams I like or players I like who I might have overdrafted in the <laughs> in the past. Like Jameson Tyone is a great dude. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's had a most people would take his career, but I feel like uh maybe out of personal bias, I might have jumped him around or two, or just buying into because he is such a smart, thoughtful guy. Anytime he's making a change, I really believe it's going to be, you know, this amazing breakout and um, so I need to, I use projections and I know this is on our sheet, but, uh, I think sometimes I have gotten away from the projections in a in draft room more than I should have, especially in like the top 15 rounds. So yeah, one change I want to, I want to be more beholden to the actual process I'm, <laughs> I'm going through right now. And, yeah. um, yeah, that's what that's one of the tough things. I think being in any draft, at least for me, like there's okay, you've done all your preparation, done your research, but can you put aside the emotion? Can you not chase <laughs> this? Can you wait? Can you hold on another round or two? And I fight that battle uh, a lot. Uh, so that's something I'm I'm working on. It's so real. It's so real. All that stuff adds up to to every single pick. Um and that's what I think I love like so much about the game and, and it just all these little mental battles we have with ourselves, um, you know, it's tough. Like I, yeah, I do. I, I love the pull side power guys. Um, I've, I've been trying to incorporate it in, in, and then just knowing, okay, like, or not knowing which, which, which projection system is incorporating it and to what level, you know, I asked Derek Hardy when I had him on the show and he says, yes, he incorporates it. Um, and then of course, yeah, but, and then there's a lot of new work on it. You know, Ben Clemens has wrote about it on Fangraph. So has Alex Chamberlain. And there's been a lot of, it's what I love too about the, the good things about Twitter is some of the research that's done, you know, just by um, random people just, just showing good de- data visualizations. And there, you know, there really isn't much to be said about someone who just pulls the ball, like the expected Wova on, um, their batted balls and it's like it's really not too much to say oh it's you're so much better of a fantasy player or player if you're just pulling the ball more you know but what i found to be useful is just really trying to examine who's been pulling it but hasn't really trans you know transferred that the numbers so like i would be looking at pulled barrel percentages and just like a lot of people looked at homer's barrels and that's like a common thing that we look at so i said let me get super granular and look at pulled homers to pulled barrels right and see okay so someone like the league average is pulling your barrels 45 percent of the time so if if someone's pulling 65 percent or 70 um but not you know the league average in 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 getting those to home runs is 69 percent so like a pulled barrel goes for homer 69 percent of the time and is it if that person is pulling a lot of their bowels, but not 
has a low percentage, but hitting the ball decently far, like, can this be someone who, you know, with this skill set of pulling it, can they have a regression toward, you know, like more homers? Or I think the biggest thing for me is identifying those guys who don't have these amazing, you know, quality of contact, you know, profiles like Hassan Kim and Thyro Estrada. These guys, like like last year, I, I saw Kim pulled almost all of his barrels and like, okay, so people don't believe the 4% barrel rate or the 15 homers, but he has a skill of doing it consistently. Um, then I just, sometimes it doesn't make me want to just jump a guy, but it definitely makes me, I guess, just more, more believable in a specific output that they're showing. You know, I'm still trying to figure it all out. I don't have a method to, you know, put it into a, formula or to put it, you know, and to measure it. I just, I'm more of a, like a feel, you know, kind of evaluator. Um, I'll leave all the formulas up to the smarter people, but I, I just, I'll get into the nitty gritty with that. And maybe sometimes I might be double counting the projection, but like you said, like sometimes maybe you're leaning away from the projection system, but I found last year, I just leaned too much into it. And I think it limited a little bit of my upside. Like I had a good floor, which is good. I think that's what projection systems give you is a good floor uh, in a league. But I went back this year to trusting a, a lot more of my gut and following, um, you know, just not following the spreadsheet all the time, which I think it's helping me this year just to like get back to my roots a little bit. Yeah. No, I love your process on looking for the underachieving uh you know, batted ball, <laughs> excuse me, quality uh, of contact guys. And I mean, I've believed in this a long time and it goes back to uh, really my time as a beat writer. I was on the Pirates beat in 20, I think it was 2013. They were, they traded for Marlon Bird at the trade deadline and he was having this power surge. And because he'd, I think he'd tested positive for uh, steroids uh, previously at that point, that, that everyone had this cloud of suspicion, like, oh, he's just juicing this year, and that's why he's doing it. But he had made this dramatic, you know, batted ball profile change. And at that point, I thought, oh, this is weird. I thought, you're either a ground ball hitter or a, a fly ball hitter, and you've been taking tens of thousands of swings since you're a kid, and you've sort of, uh, in your, you know, your muscle memory, those neural pathways in your brain have, you have this hardwired swing plane that's hard to change. But then here comes Marlon Bird, and he had changed his swing in one offseason, working in this private instructor's training facility, which is basically like an indoor storage unit in L.A., Yep. and he reinvented himself. And that was like a holy shit moment that someone yep. could do this. <laughs> and then I saw more and more of these guys kind of buy into that over the years, um, like a Jose Ramirez in Cleveland or a Francisco Lindor in Cleveland, where I was based. And they never had big power projections as prospects. And they came here and they've become, you know, Lindor's gone now, of course, but they maximized their batted ball profile. Uh, Justin Turner, J.D. Yep. Martinez. Uh, and so I've become curious what kind of hitters can do this. I don't think everyone, if you look at everyone who makes a, a batted ball profile change, it doesn't work for everyone. So then it, like, who does it benefit? What kinds of profiles? So it is... I would love to find a way to like automate this with a formula, but I, yep. to your point, I think it's really tough and I don't have the computer science skills <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to do it. Maybe someone else does and I'm sure someone else has a better uh, 
method for doing that. But I do, I do, I had believed in it for a long time. But I think one of the challenges is we see all these headlines about he went to driveline or he went there and then, mm-hmm. okay, but how many of these stories are going to work out? How many are not? But I also love that because it means this game can't just become a formula. There's still some, uh, you know, there's still intuition and feel and art involved. And I, that's one thing I do love about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Absolutely. I, I love the whole driveline narratives. Um, you know, we can maybe say it's overrated. We might be taking it uh, too too much into effect, but I'd rather know if someone is trying to get themselves to be better as a human being and as a, you know, as a player, it doesn't hurt for sure, you know, to be going to driveline. I think a lot of the focus is on performance too, rather than even just durability for example like a pitcher doesn't normally uh doesn't really have to get better per se but if they can stay on the field more that's also a skill right being available i think that's one of the things you know like trevor bauer never missed any time you know he maybe you know had some seasons where he was a little bit more elite but he just always took the ball and he started that at a young age you know and he he never really missed time with being injured um and i think that's that's part of it too that maybe maybe we're overlooking like the ability to just stay on the field through making your body better or just being more in tune with your body because it just I think that intuitively that makes sense. You know, if you're watching your weight and you're and, and you're exercising, you're gonna be you know better as a you know optimally better as a human. But I think I think that's interesting too because it's really hard to quantify those things. Um, like best shape of his life kind of stuff. You know that that that's always in our minds, um, and it it it's hard to diffuse that right when you're looking at a guy and you see. You know, like right now, Alec Manoa is he's saying all the right things and he, he's looking great. But and, and it's, it's ADP is at a cost where a lot of people are like, yes, it could be one of the home runs of the year. And he got like my side of it is like, yeah, no, thanks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like he got beaten so bad last year mentally to me. And I, I just have to see him pitch first and then believe it, you know, and I still may not believe it. then. I don't mind missing out on on that kind of um but you mentioned something i don't want to forget about this because you brought up jameson tyon and um him just being i guess because you know you've, you've had some link to him or maybe you know got to know him or whatever but like him being in um a, a smart person or a good person like I I know like a lot of times we talk about Jay, jeff jeff Hammerman always talked about having a knucklehead factor like just just putting a, a knocking down a guy a standings game point or a dollar value because of on-field antics off-field antics and also there's the flip side of like where someone's just a really good human being like you said and how does that not creep into your brain you know when you're trying to draft a person because you know how like intellectual that he may be and and you know like i feel like that would influence me so much if i had really a lot of inside information like that yeah, no, it's uh, 
I like Jeff's rule because, and I think especially today, if you are a curious player, a bright guy, there's so many tools, there's so much information where you can really improve yourself in some, at least a few, you know, percentage points of performance in some area. You can sharpen a pitch, you can add some velocity, you can uh, perhaps maximize your, optimize your batted ball contact a little bit. And you're more likely to do that if you are not a knucklehead, I would assume. Uh, (laughs) The tough thing about that, though, is most of these guys that have reached the major leagues, I mean, these are the 1% of the one percenters. Yeah. They have to generally be pretty, pretty dedicated and, you know, often pretty sharp guys, at least in understanding their body and the sports science to arrive there. So there are still knuckleheads, but I think most guys who are at the major league level, uh, they, they've gotten here because of physical talent, but that alone generally isn't enough to, to get you to, to the peak. So yeah, I, I do think there's something to be said for that. And I'm not going to name names, but yeah, there's some people who've gotten me in trouble in the, in the past for probably believing just too much in the, uh, uh, some measurable skill. But, right. uh, yeah, yeah. To, to Jeff's point, I do think it's valid and I'm, I'm sure somewhere Rob Silver is not happy listening to me talk about, or he's just cringing hearing about all this uh, player development talk and whatnot. And, you know, Rob's one of main events, so everyone should probably, you know, listen to him over me. No, I think, I think it's all part of the picture, you know, I, and I, some, you know, they, there's just some people who want to see numbers to back it up and, and, and that's fine. That could, that's, that's just their route. They're numbers guys. They want to see research that shows someone did this and this happened and it just be a large enough of a data set to say, this is real. Um, I personally don't need that, um, to, to determine if it's real or not. I mean, I'll, I'll just take a chance and if it's not, then Oh, well, you know, uh, last year before the season started, I saw this random tweet. It wasn't even a tweet. It was a comment in a tweet section about JP Crawford and how he was going to driveline and he was trying to lift the ball a little more. And he was always a target for me last year. I just, there's just always that I got to get this third shortstop of my draft champions, you know, and he was always the guy I was always pressing the button on him because he plays every day. And, um, and then I saw that and I was like even more confident and be like, oh yeah, like, uh, this is cool. Like this can't hurt. And he, 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 I mean, he did what he wanted to do. He started lifting the ball into the pull side more and was just really amazing last year. Um, so it is what it is. I'll take my shot with that. I, like I said, I know myself as a human being, when I focus on, on being optimally the best me, um, I perform better. So I, I just think it naturally makes sense to expect other people to have some sort of the same, um, things. So we pause in the show to tell you to head over to underdogfantasy.com where you can get involved in several different best ball formats to scratch that draft itch. Right now, underdog has Several live MLB best ball. You got the Dinger, which is ten buck entry, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in overall prizes, including a hundred K to the first place. They have Perfect Game, which is a hundred dollar entry. You even have a solo shot. It's only a single entry, ten K to first place, seventy five dollar entry. So head on over there. It's the best ball format. So all you have to do is join, draft your team. And that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management, nothing. Draft 20 plays, get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineups. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, one flex, 
each week of the regular season and getting started is simple. You just go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with my promo code, pull hitter, and underdog doubles your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Go check it out, underdogfantasy.com, pull hitter in the promo code for doubling your initial deposit of up to 100 bucks. What? What's the next step? What's the next uh, measurement of player skill development that you expect to see or you want to see either through StatCast measuring it or I'm sure teams are doing stuff that God knows I can't even imagine what they're doing. But what do you expect to see next to at least maybe help us in fantasy, like make that next push to be more accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think... We have so much amazing data available today. It's uh, I feel like greedy asking for, for more stuff, but <laughs> yeah, if we, if uh, I know this is in the, the sheet, but if we had just a little more exact uh, knowledge of, and I see some models out there, but I don't uh, bat speed, hand speed, the yeah. actual coordinates of the swing coming through the zone and uh, you know, there's something there, I think, to better understand the actual underlying skill of a, of a hitter. Um, the biggest breakthrough will have to be in the health side, though, because playing time is really, it's a holy grail for teams. And it's, I think, the holy grail for fantasy. Like, uh, if you have an edge in knowing who's going to play that year, uh, you know, that's just massive. So I don't know what that will look like someday, but maybe through some weird combination of AI and computer vision, you know, there'll be some breakthrough in understanding Yeah, this archetype of player is going to be more healthier. This, this is an injury red flag. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, that's something I would like, I'd like to know if I could know one thing, I'd like to know playing time. <laughs> right. Who's going to finish the season with more plate appearances and innings. Uh, what not we all? So that's yes. like, the Holy grail to me. And, you know, I don't, I think some players might've found an edge there. Like in, you know, Phil's great season two years ago, he, he seemed to really nail that. Uh, so I've, but again, that's something that I don't, maybe uh, the, I know some projection systems are better at this, but that's also like, again, reporting human in, intuition, like yep. is who's going to be the Reds, how will the Reds divvy up playing time? Like, if you have a better, <laughs> if you can predict that better, there's a huge edge to be there, to be yeah. had there. Yeah, that's 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 been the talk of the the town. I think every time I, uh, every time we go to talk on Launch Angle or Pod, and it just seems like it can be a topic every single time. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, there's something new that comes out, and like, oh, we could talk about the Reds again, and it's just. Right now, it's been beaten to death uh, about who, you know, who who's going to be the guy to uh, it's it just comes down to like skills right now for, for me. I just look at that team and I'm picking skills over the wall and hoping they come out. And that means, you know, I'm not picking Jonathan India at the moment. Plus the heel, the, the, the plantar fasciitis, it just sounds bad, you know, and I just feel like if he was truly healthy, also may have been, you know, uh, he may have not been on the Reds right now you know so maybe other teams know that and, and didn't make a play for him or it could be also a reason why they went out and got Condelario, right <laughs> it's like we, right. we were all asking oh why do they do this well maybe they knew that he was you know, having a bad off these and it's like you know what we should we should do this you know so that's uh 
that's definitely a mess. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'd ever get to, I think like day-to-day stuff, like during the week or during the month, like, man, this guy's really having a rough month or a rough six weeks. And yeah, if we had access to be like, oh yeah, he's got low low blood pressure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would obviously be the ultimate, uh, you know, or, you know, this guy's on this medication. We, We won't ever get that information, but... Yeah, sure. Well, we'd love to have it <laughs> if we ever had any. If anyone hacks the, uh, you know, the Dodger database and 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 is uh, is in contact with, uh, you know, why a person sat that day, yeah, I'm sure it would read some crazy, crazy things like that. You know, it's, I don't even want to know. Um, I do, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So how? How are you getting prepped for your drafts this year? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the projection side and, um, you know, like, I guess just give us a little lowdown of how you get down to getting your, your player ranks and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, Phil gave me some advice to start and he said, uh, don't draft Jacob DeGrom this year. So I'm not, there you go. I'm not not (laughs) going to do that. I I don't think I can this year. Uh, so (laughs) I mean, one thing you said that's interesting is you want to be, uh, you want to, you have a comfort level during doing certain things in a draft room and certain behaviors and how you, so I'm not quite at that point because I haven't had enough success yet to feel like, oh, I definitely have a, a method. So what I'm trying to do is just what have I kind of self-scouting where I failed in past years and trying to incorporate that into the, into a process and, uh, I've used projections each year, but now I'm I'm adding a few things I think are important to them, and uh, I'm planning on adhering to them much more strictly in the first half of the draft, at least. And one just big picture thing is in my first few years playing mains, and I think a lot of newer players are probably victim of this, is I felt I had to like smash early picks and you know, find breakouts in the top 10 rounds and exceed the value of those slots. And that's, and I've chased way too much risk there thinking, you know, to, to win a tournament, you have to smash all this upside early. And I think it's finally been beaten into my head now over the last three years and listening to pods and seeing who the good players are. Like (laughs) you're not, you're not, I don't think you're probably, I'm not going to win a draft by just uh, finding you know, the breakout fourth round guy, you just don't want to lose those early rounds. And that's not right. new advice to anyone, but it's been hard for me to follow. And that's, so one process I think is just uh, one change I'm making is I am trying to be so boring in the first half of the draft. And that's really not something I've done. Like you don't chase too much risk. Don't chase too much upside. You don't need, because last year I had Grom. And I'm still not convinced this is a bad process because I don't really know that we know much about player health. I had him, I think I was drafted in the 11th slot and I had him as the best pitcher. Strider had gone. Uh, and I think I had Strider DeGrom as in a tier of their own and I took DeGrom. And of course, it, many people would have said that was a huge risk, terrible pick. Uh, <laughs> look at me, I'm saying I'm still not sure my process is wrong, but I'm not doing that again <laughs> this year. <laughs> With DeGrom, you can, but I am just trying to be so boring. Uh, so yeah, I'm 
going to lean into the projections I'm create, <coughs> excuse me, creating early. And then second half of the draft, I'm going to try to lean more into kind of the, the art, the intuition, the like one, as you mentioned before, one tweet you see on X could be an amazing insight that's just out there. And it could lead to um, understanding players about to break out. So I'm going to try to take, you know, leave your risks, leave that side of the game to the later later rounds, lower investments, and almost think of it like an investment portfolio where it's really hard to, uh, you know, your biggest positions should be your your least risky, but you also want to take some some upside shots with some uh, some lower cost investments. So, you know, that's that's sort of how I'm, how I'm thinking about it this year and trying to learn from past mistakes and, you know, watch the film, get a little better each year. And also, I also want to have some fun going, you know, I want to have fun with this too. I don't yes. want to have analysis, paralysis by analysis and go into that room in Vegas and being uh, crippled with, you know, each decision, weight of the world on it. I want to be able to play loose too. So it's this balance I'm trying to create. There you go. I should, that's, that's exactly that. You just gave yourself the tip that you asked me about for a main event uh, in Vegas, play loose. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. 100%. No, that's such a, Seriously, that's such a good thing. I think, you know, uh, maybe sometimes with if it's a lot of money you're playing with or just uh, if it's just a person who's ultra competitive and, you know, you need to win each pick is I think that's a good reminder that we really need to remind ourselves that is for fun. Um, sometimes you just got to go with uh, something that maybe doesn't seem right on paper or the spreadsheet, but you just have you like your your gut or your brain is telling you or your analysis is telling you this is this is the way to go this is the way i want to go and just tr and trust that just you you have to you have to lean into that because the the analysis by paralysis is is real you know um i find myself sometimes yeah, getting too caught up in in maybe something too granular that i might be like uh maybe i gotta peel myself back a little bit from this and and um which which projection system do you usually tend to lean to <clears throat> excuse me uh, yeah i like i'm looking at a lot of the fan graphs ones uh yeah. you know bad x uh steamers such a huge influence just because it comes out first right and that's where the initial weightings are but I'm essentially just aggregating those and placing mm -hmm. a little more weight on certain ones and then fill, adding a few adjustments based on some other things I'm, I'm testing, like the pulled fly ball stuff. So it's nothing, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I can create my own system. Uh, and I, I don't even think that's a good use of my time. Like I think it's better served on just diving into later round cases right now. So that's... I, so I have those weighted to some degree and probably bad X as the greatest weighting, but those are, I have, I think four in my composite right now. Uh, and I'm also using the eight because I think the market's pretty smart. So I'm using some high stakes auction values too, to kind of blend in uh, the market too. So I have like five components plus my own. So similar to what I did last year, but a few more wrinkles and, We'll see how it goes. I'm going to trust these in the top half of the draft. I'm I trying not, not to stray too much, much from it. I'm going to trust, you know, the 
the the avalanche of of data and process that's gone into this and uh use my insight <laughs> the avalanche of data yeah that's a good <laughs> yeah. one that's a t-shirt i think with a whole bunch of stats falling down the cliff um <laughs> that's a good one i like that but um, so the, for your projections what do yeah. you what is your process like for your sheet that you go into the draft room with so currently i have a blend as well i'm using uh steamer I use Razzball. I know Razzball is built off of Steamer, but I like what Rudy Gamble does with some of the playing time. Uh, I feel like he he's really on on in tune with some of the the things that he adjusts and sees a little bit differently than Steamer. So um, they don't like I weigh them the same, um, but some things I might just tip a little bit more to Razzball. Um, especially in season, um, with like the rest of season projections, I think Rudy does a great job of 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 seeing you know what's happening and adjusting to it. Uh, I also have the bad X in there, um, and a little bit of Masters Ball, uh, Todd Zola's um, projection system, and I use Zips too because it's, it's like a just like a contrarian one for a lot of the of the things I see. Um, and just got to be a little careful not to use, like, I tried actual zips first, and and yeah, I used Tanner, Tanner Bell's aggregator, protection aggregator, and um, it just spit out a lot of crazy values because he has like guys like Ryan Kreidler for still like fifteen homers and fifteen stolen bases. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, why is this <laughs> like, what's going on here? So I actually just use zips uh, with the depth charts playing time. Um, which is also a little odd too, because the the actual innings pitched or at bats will um, be according to to depth charts, but it won't change some of the statistics. So if like Dan Zimborski has Jose Alvarado for, I mean, I mean, um, not Alvarado, he doesn't project saves, but if he has someone for um, ninety six innings pitched with to um, 100 strikeouts, um, the depth charts will still show like the innings pitched, but still the same amount of strikeouts. So I, so that's why I don't weight that too much, but I just like the different, you know, thing it adds to the sheet, but it's mostly, mostly dominated by uh, Steamer, Bad X and, and uh, Raspball. I just, um, I try to find an, an, an interesting blend and until I can, I rework it until the sheet makes me happy, Travis. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> until yeah. it's uh, until it shows a set of numbers, I say this is what I like. That's what I use, <laughs> and that's probably a terrible route. But um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I've actually done some drafts where um, some draft champions, like in uh, you know, I'm in my SGP sheet, and after round thirty-five, I'll just take out all the aggregates and I will put Steamer six hundred, and I'll just just to try to identify some of the, the outliers in PT, you know, like if anyone comes up and, um, and, and just gets a whole bunch of PT, like, can this guy be, and it doesn't mean I always take that, like the highest guy, the highest value, but it's just to get a different sense of, um, some deep, deep round picks. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. It's whatever. Who knows if it's right or wrong, but I mean, you get, that, that the thing is like I've done a lot of draft champions so far and in these slow drafts you kind of get to see who may be using a specific system you know like I'll run each each system in its own SGP sheet and have it kind of in a tab so I could see it but 
and sometimes I'll just look and be like, oh, this person just looks like they're drafting straight off of steps or straight off of steam. And you can identify it pretty easily. Just the next guy on on the board is just always going to this team or that team. And I think that's good just in a draft to know. In a fast draft, I don't think you'll be able to keep up with that. So it doesn't matter. But if you're doing a slow two-hour draft or four-hour draft, then you can – it'll help maybe, you know, in identifying with – the people might take next so you can pick you know um it's it's there's a lot of stuff to measure it's 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 and that's why like um sometimes you know the importance of player analysis kind of gets dwarfed to roster construction and 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 build and team build and what everyone else is doing right because <laughs> that right. kind of gets get thrown out of the window sometimes because you're like well what do i need to lean more here with the this player who might be better according to the value or what I need and what everyone else in front of me, like in the next five or six picks until I get back to you, what, what might come back to me. Right. And I think that's like roster construction and just really know how piece to piece of team as a whole is, is sometimes I think just trumps uh, any player analysis that you may have, you know, edge edge wise. Yeah. That's a great point. It, uh, it feel. Do you remember? Do you ever see that show where it's like a, it's got like a shopping spree show where contestants had, I don't know, two minutes to go in the grocery store and whoever came <laughs> out with the the best, <laughs> the most merchandise value won. It's a. I feel a little bit like that going into draft room. Like you might have this plan, but then there's someone in the aisle where you want to be, and you gotta work. Are you gonna go to work around them? Or are you gonna go into aisle three? So I feel, and you have all these different categories you need to hit too it's not like you know pure points which i love about roto there's that whole i'm focusing on balance too i want to stay as balanced as i can uh, in drafts yeah. so that's a little bit of the feeling i've had in some of these draft rooms the last few years uh yeah it's such it's a great it's a great psychological test emotion test it's a great mathematical it's a great test in a lot of ways so even if uh so I enjoy that aspect of it, even if I, you know, I'm not drafting a, a league or an event winner. It's still uh, that going mm-hmm. through that process is is fun. Yeah, definitely. It's a great fun. challenge. It is. It is. That's a great <laughs> the supermarket challenge. Oh man, that is that is hysterical. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good way to to uh, match that. I never thought about that before. <laughs> I, I don't know. That just popped crazy. in my mind going through that. I'm like, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... you might feel that you know when i feel pressured on the clock in vegas i'm gonna look over at you if you're in my <laughs> league or you're somewhere around them it's gonna be like supermarket challenge that's right that's that may right. just be a team name for you <laughs> <laughs> uh so the nfbc has the champions league you have entered it it is rising by the day toby batflip crazy has done a fantastic job not only putting together the idea of the league but also hyping everyone up with the write-ups and 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 the marketing behind it and i i think it's so awesome um we were actually given an over under of 63 when we presented this idea to the person who no doesn't work with the company anymore and uh, <laughs> and um we were like oh man i think we're gonna get more than this and every time it stepped up to another number like you think we can get 150 you think we can get 200 and i just think it's really awesome because I think it identifies so many cool things about the sport that's not out there yet. So what made you excited about to join it? 
Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's just it's a game within the game kind of element, and what I really like about it is, you know, uh, some of the bigger bankroll players who are who are all, many of them are very good players can sort of they have an edge in just volume of entries, and I like that this kind of consolidates this contest into. Okay, these are these are kind of your ride and die picks because you can't uh, you can't win this contest by volume. You can only win it by having the best performance in these three entries. So that that's really appealing, and the idea of like sitting in an auction next year is really really cool, and uh, someone getting to have that to have the uh, CLQ crown or belt mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. the trophy will be is is really cool, and it. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a really great format idea. And uh, I, yeah, well, I think Toby's doing a great job with the uh, promotion of it. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's the, so- the only, I don't know that I love OCs, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a different format and uh, yeah, it tests a variety of skills too. Yeah. The, and that's the thing. We're like, I think it was kind of born out of a little bit of a discussion we were having like oh man this 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 uh this guy's doing good and like in this league in this league and I, you know i look at the overall standings during the season and uh, either a guy in my league or just in general i see names that pop up a lot and I'm like man this this guy's just good in everything you know and i maybe you hop over to the best ball league. i mean this guy's good in best ball too you know this guy's just good at everything and so i think that's really cool to measure you know everyone's skill set in a different kind of league um and yeah we we struggled a little bit as to what to make the because we wanted to uh, not include the online championship and do the auction instead a 15 team online auction and while that was still enticing when phil ran the numbers he just saw that numbers wise if we wanted to get everyone involved as much as we can in the first year like the masses more of the masses did um you know the three formats that are included now so um but it, it it's fun um and i know that you have already done your draft champions um clq right that's How correct go? yeah uh, oh, and just real quick, I would say to anyone who wants to uh, be have a greater voice in this community, uh, mm-hmm. you know, competing in this is a great way to you know establish yourself, test yourself too. So it's sort of a democratic uh, kind of process, I think, that could lead to to uh, new folks having some space in the community, which is really cool. Not Without that, a doubt. yeah. No, no, I think I think that's that that's extremely um, important, and I think even one of the things Toby had mentioned in the doc that he put together, it's just like this, just this can just lead to um, avenues of of either you writing for a company or even writing on your own if you wanted this, just something. It can bring, um, I don't know, like I felt like you know I started my podcast in in the summer of 2020 and um you know i happened to win the overall <laughs> that 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 year and it just definitely helped me with my growth for sure um and it just doesn't take much for you know for that to happen you know you just if you're confident in your skills and um i mean we already got two people to sign up that never even played in the nfbc before and oh, that wow. just yeah that's that's fascinating to me that you know 
uh, yeah, because when they joined and Toby's like, I can't find any of their history. It's like they they haven't even played <laughs> on the site. So either they listen to my podcast and they just you know, like they they joined like they joined up. And I think that's awesome. I think that's kind of the spirit of the of the contest. You know, get in and test your metal. And yeah, you could you could find yourself sitting at the auction table in 2025 in Vegas with with Phil and Rob Silver and James Anderson, right? And you're like, oh boy, like it, it could be a big moment, you know? And I'm pretty excited for that. I, I think that's gonna be, I mean, me me and Randy Haynes are gonna follow the championship uh, league uh, through, through the year. Um, and I'm excited to just see how it develops and how, you know, cause like you said, it's another twist. You're you're already worried about one overall in your league, and now there's this other, <laughs> right? There's this other thing you have to worry about. So, did you feel any uh, extra intensity with your picks during the CLQ? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean a little bit. I was, uh, I can't. I was going to do another DC, but in Ohio right now, I, for, there's the NFC is having some issue with. Uh, getting some renewal for their license in Ohio. So this is my only DC right now. So yeah, okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure and doing this one, the added pressure of this is the one that counts. And I, in my preparation, I always like to do a DC early to, it's a great way to get a feel for the player pool and the pockets you like. And it forces you to, or at least it forces me to really investigate guys who weren't on my radar as much, or I wasn't thinking much about. And, I know I was pissing some people off in my room by taking a lot of time on the clock with some picks, but it's like, it's January and I'm using this as sort of a part of my process to understand the player pool. So I'm not going to be rushed. <laughs> Even though you want to rush me, I'm not going to be rushed. So, they were voicing themselves about it or you think like you mentally thought like they might've been cursing at you. Oh, well they, I mean, one, one individual did voice it and uh, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, we've all been in those rooms and I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm not doing it in the spirit of being a pain in the ass, but I am uh, using it as, because uh, I have two kids, I have a day job, I can't spend all day just research. So of course, sometimes I'll take my time to make a pick and yeah, it's a great, I've liked doing the DCs. I think they helped me last year. Uh, yeah. And I, I think I like the team. Uh should I have done a little more? Should I have waited to finish my preparation before diving in? Yeah. I also had the draft touch though, where I just wanted to get in a room and just do it and, and wing it. So yeah, it was, uh, I, I do like the DC format. Uh, and just to your earlier point, I mean, I think you're an inspirational story for people who want to be in the community. A few years ago, uh, an unknown, and now you're one of the podcasts I podcasters I regularly regularly listen to as I walk around my town here in Bay Village, Ohio. And uh, cool. I go on a walk every day, part of my exercise, get some thoughts, have stories to go. It helps like organize and think about stories, but I'm usually listening to something. And yeah, you're, uh, you're one of the voices in my head now as I walk around. <laughs> Street, I appreciate so. that. And it's crazy to hear people say that, you know, um, it's, 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 it's wild because I, I hear voices out on my walk. They just <laughs> never, never, never envisioned that I would, uh, be in, in, in a lot of ears. Uh, 
So it's it's cool. I'm grateful for that, and uh, I don't I don't take uh, I don't take any of that for uh, granted. You know, um, I uh, I wake up thanking thanking everyone every day for that because it's 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 cool. It's very cool. Um, so um, diversifying. Um, I know you alluded a little bit to before about you know having a different portfolio and players, but is it something that you'll try to like, especially maybe in this Champions League? Will you be more in or out on like this guy's, you know, like an SP one or an SP two being on all your teams? You'll be a little bit more scared. I mean, now like the news are are rolling out on everybody now, <laughs> Kyle Bradish, and oh man, everyone's everyone's racing to do another DC because their DCs have been destroyed already <laughs> yeah but this is how do you feel about the diversity uh factor yeah I've, I've thought a lot about uh phil's you know this amazing what was it 2021 how many years ago two years ago yeah 2021 yeah, yeah yep. he he won a lot of different leagues without much uh concentration early in picks i believe but he had a lot of concentration late so i think yep that's you want to cons- on those post 15, 16 round guys that you believe in. I'm, I'm going to try to collect as many as I, as I can without doing serious reaches, but like the early round picks, I think in past years, I might've, I'm trying not to fall in love with players, really their projections as much, or, you know, what I've, I'm not going to chase as much early. I'm fine not being concentrated early, but I do want to have some, uh, I think to do well, you're going to have to have some, some concentration. It's going to have. Yep. It would be difficult to have three very different teams and and win. I think. Uh, so there's some. So that that's how I'm thinking about it. Is that the right way? I don't know. And will I even be able to do that? Well, that's <laughs> well, another thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's one thing to have a plan. As we all know, executing is much no. different. No, I think that's a good point. I think that's like, um, you know, at the top of the draft, I think it's important to just, you know, I have like a little, I have a little Google sheet that I have in, and, um, you know, I have the round numbers on the left side and I have the positions up the top and each, each round, I just have a box with players that I would consider there. Um, if I would consider having a guy ahead in the next round, I put him in that next box and I highlight him, you know, just, just, just knowing I'll reach on this player. And I think it's good when you, I don't know, this, this, this practice helped me a lot in just understanding, like, I don't have to have the same guys all the time at the top. And so in these DCs, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll spread it around. I don't mind trying different builds. I don't mind trying to go uh, three batters first or, you know, two pitchers and then a closer before I have a hitter. Um, just because I have this 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 little plan in my head, like, all right, well, I have all these players in this spot that I love, you know, and that I can just attack this pocket. And I think that's just really understanding the market and understanding what ADP is telling you and understanding where to go for those uh, those players. And so that's why, yeah, just sometimes, like the third round is, is pretty... I think the like the end of the second into the third round right now is pretty pretty polarized, and you can go plenty of ways, um, and it can just completely direct the rest of your draft, you know. So um, just just take time, and like I said, you, you know, 
we're always looking at the projections and player skills, but if you just take the time to absorb the ADP and understand um, where to go, and I totally agree with the after after a certain pick, I'm just all in, you know, like that's like Parker Meadows for me this year. I have uh, a lot of Parker Meadows. <laughs> it's like afterward, <laughs> after after a certain round, I'm I'm just and I think him and Tommy Pham are my most rostered batters, and I just. I'm just waiting for Tommy Pham to get a job. Like now I'm just getting nervous. I actually just actually back off like drafting him in the last two or three drafts because like, all right, well, I have enough of him and he doesn't have a job yet. So even though I, I do think I'm not nervous, he won't find a, a, a full-time job, but every day that goes by is just, it's definitely a little uneasy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was an unrelated rant, but it's just ridiculous that, the amount of unsigned players oh it's it's gosh. not good for interest in the sport either i mean uh the best off season i thought was aside from the 100 day lockout was what happened before it when you had all that activity concentrated right. into that window and then when it ended you had this other window of concentrated activity and you have fans had attention on it media had attention on it but having this long drawn out kind of game of chicken largely between Boris and, and teams at this point. It's just kind of, I don't know. I don't think it's good for anyone. I don't think it's good for the sport. And it's not good for fantasy players unless yep. you feel like you're getting, well, maybe it is if you, you're getting discounts because of uncertainty. Uh, I, I do have a bunch of free agents on my CLQTC team, but hopefully, uh, <laughs> I know some of them will find jobs. Hopefully all of them do. I mean, what do you what do you think it is about Blake Snell? You think he gets he's getting disrespected this year? I mean, he's a two time Cy Young winner. You think people are putting too much stock into the the walk rate because he's just I don't know. Like I've been in so many drafts when like Yuri Perez gets drafted ahead of him, and I'm like, what 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 is happening? Or am I overthinking that? No, there's some. There's definitely some anti Snell bias, and I, if you're a believer, <laughs> yeah. you, you can buy in that. There's an advantage there. And, uh, maybe it's some of it's a walk rate. Maybe there's a little bit like what kind of home park environment is he going to be in? Right. Uh, you know, so. I have some people baking the, oh, he's going to get paid and people don't like the first year of after someone getting paid. But I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it's hard to argue with, with, with the output of, of, yeah. of, of what he does, you know? So it's just, I don't know. Um, I think there's like late discount free agents. I think the early ones are still like in a in a spot where they should be, except for Snell. But like Jordan Montgomery, I don't think will go up too much from where he is. Um, but yeah, way way too many way too many free agents at the moment, without a doubt. Um, all right, let's talk about something that you're itching to talk about. Uh, it's been on a lot of people's mind, and it's the advantage of having Ronald Acuna at the number one pick. So um, you've, you've, you've voiced a bunch of stuff to me via DM. So uh, talk to me about it. Yeah. And I've, I've tagged uh, <laughs> the NFC, NFC on this on Twitter. And yeah, I, I think the market should determine the order. Uh, there should be another, you know, just essentially another fab bidding cycle. And folks can, if they don't want to, pay up for a pick you can put the minimum bid whether it's a you know a zero one dollar type of draft position and if you want a cunha you should have to pay for him because yeah i think he's you know regression is almost like a natural law of nature and he's most certainly he's probably not going to steal as many bases probably won't be quite as valuable 
but projections bake that in and he's still like a $20 edge over the next player. And that's, that's huge. And we haven't seen that. I don't think in many recent seasons. So I think, you know, there's a value in that and people should have to, the market should shut, should set the rate. There should be, there's a huge advantage in having him. There should be some cost in having that advantage. Uh, And I don't really see the argument. I don't really understand the argument against it. Like you just want to, the only one I've heard is, you know, some very good volume players want to have diversity and pick locations in a draft without having to spend fab. But I, I think a market should dictate where he's selected. And if you want him, you got to pay up for him. And this is how it's uh, in the, the highest stake leagues, right? It's all the pick orders selected by determined by fab. So I believe so. Why not for, for the main events and it's too late for the OC season, but uh, yeah, I'd like, what are your thoughts on this? Because that's where I am. I'm pretty, I'm pretty convicted. And, and this, it's also just another game theory element layer to this. Like, is it smart to spend any of your budget on pick order, pick location? Um, I, uh, I got a couple of thoughts to start off. I, I, I sat in on the platinum NFBC league, which is a $15,000 buy-in. That's what they do at the, the, the day before the draft. They, they go in and they auction for the picks and it's fab money. Um, and I watched two very smart players in Rob Silver and Phil Dussel wait and got the 14 and 15 pick. Or I think Rob maybe got the 13 or whatever it was. Didn't spend much money on, on that. And um, I know Phil prefers his ability to have full fab because that that's where he's, you know, really exceptional in in-season management and finding players. And um, I guess like right then and there, I kind of made a decision in my head to like, I think that's what I would do also, you know. On the flip side, my thoughts on it are that I need to see it for more than one year of Ronald Acuna being projected and being better than everybody else. I also don't think that there's, there's, I don't think that it's crazy to think that anyone behind him can shorten the gap to him with him regressing a little bit. Um, well, not even a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he, if he's going to consistently do 40, 70 every season, then yeah, I, I would say we need to see that. But I just need more, like more than a year to change, I think, the rules or how we do it. Um, I don't know. I, I just the I just look at a lot of things. Like if Acuna doesn't bat 337, right? Even give him a 300 average. But what if he goes to what if he goes to 35 and 50, right? That's what Witt did last year, right? Um, that's what many think Tatis can get back to. Um, what if Acuna doesn't have an 11.4% K rate again? That was a 12% drop. Like, does it That's almost up? as insane. I mean, the steals are obviously <laughs> yeah. good, but that yeah. drop in strikeout rate is almost as insane as a steal total. Like it, that's it, still it is wild. It's, it, it's an amazing improvement. And it's, you know, obviously someone who is, you know, 25 years old, they kind of like, oh yeah, of course you can get better. He got a lot better. Um, it could have been a change in an approach. Um, he's also someone that, you know, played through the 
full season, postseason, played, you know, um, in the Dominican League, I still, right? I still played in that. Um, I don't know. I just think that, I think the gap from him to someone else having a career year like that is a lot more available than I think people are giving credit to. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, am I crazy to think that way that J-Rod or Carol or Witt or Tatis can, can close the gap? No, I think you're absolutely right. Like, would you take the field or Acuna as being the number one player next season? The field. Yeah, I would too. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's correct. Uh, and I think he's going to regress and some someone else is going to have an amazing season and perhaps be the number one player next year. But we're sort of making these judgments <laughs> yeah. in real time. We have the snapshot, which... So I still think you need... that. We shouldn't have luck determined where you pick it should be True. what's your conviction True. level in these players and you and it's not just an Acuna thing I think he just it's an issue this year because of where he projects and you know this perceived right. difference I wouldn't right. want to overact and do like a third round reversal because of one season oh yeah yeah that's gotta be out but but, but I think every year everything I think fab is a good tool because every year the the uh you know the players can adjust to what they think the strength of the the, the, the early first round is. So I, it's not just an Acuna thing for me. I just think it should be every year. It's a good way to true to to adjust for it. And I think I'd probably just be the guy who continuously doesn't spend money on the top pick. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I maybe, think that's a smart smart approach. Yeah, I think maybe maybe to try to get like. I don't know what the difference between eighth and fifteenth would be. Like, if someone spends two hundred and fifty bucks on the eighth pick, I don't want it. Yeah. You know, if someone like someone someone would spend what six hundred dollars on Acuna, well, on pick one. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, I don't. It's possible. There was I a, spent, someone ran a poll. Someone three hundred and seventy dollars on Bryce Miller. What <laughs> yeah, am I gonna yeah. do after that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, last what year. Was, <laughs> to have a thirty percent win rate edge or whatever it was with the Cunyas, well, it was probably worth it. Uh, will that return be there? No. <laughs> but yeah, I'd is that price Miller <laughs> you want to spend four hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're on one dollar a week. You know, for uh, aside from that, it's you know, it's so interesting. I I like the I like the I like the thought of it. I think the element of it would add, like, of course, another another element of strategy to the game that is filled with them and that would be really fine i would i would totally be ready for it um uh, i'm not against it i just yeah i mean i guess it's the it's the luck element of of drawing number one pick um it could be something that they i don't know i don't know if they would consider it uh but i'm ready for it but you know like i said if i was just thinking about this too like if someone really would spend that much money on a middle pick I would probably never be picking in a top 12, you know, um, if I could just spend 10 bucks for pick 15. And I feel like me having $990 a fab versus even the middle guy with 750, I feel like I'm at a huge advantage already. Yeah. I mean, that that's the interesting counter argument is if you're planning to do multiple entries and it was fab, you would always be in the same position draft position you'd be at the end of the first round yeah <laughs> right. uh, and then you concentrate a lot of risk or you have to 
you know, change your board if you're going to, you don't want to pick the same person three times in the first round, probably. So <laughs> I understand that, but I don't know that that should be the rationale to not do it because not everyone is going to be a multi-entry player True. and uh, that sort of thing. So it's an interesting argument. Uh, I'm, I'm for Fabian, whether it's an Acuna year or not. And would you remember what the top picks went for last year in that platinum league and the, what the fab or the bidding was for them? Um, but if I'm not mistaken, it was 300. Two, oh, wow, two to 300, I believe. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm not, yeah, don't don't mark my words for any probably X Phil or Rob Silver, but um, I'm pretty sure with that high, yeah. wow, because because last year it was more uh, because there's Acuna, Judge, I think, Turner, Turner, yeah. Yeah, so it was no. more wide open. Mm-hmm. That's interesting yeah. that there's still a big pay up in a more uncertain one one. Uh, position yeah i mean even 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 something like um yeah it's just i guess people just really love to have that first grab you know the first 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 pick it just uh they start to (laughs) yeah you're paying that much money you know you want to get the player you want to i think that has that that has some element to it right you're like i'm paying this much money um and this is the guy i want you know in this draft (laughs) So, yeah, it, uh, yeah. I know Jeff Zimmerman's with me on this too, right? He wants, he wants Fab. Yeah, yeah, he wants Fab. He's he's not. Uh, I, I don't know. I've heard him say he's not gonna play in some some uh, snake draft leagues. He's gonna concentrate on auctions. That's fine. Listen, uh, I don't we think should. Me and Jeff are gonna chain ourselves to the lobby door in Vegas, and it won't <laughs> open. Until oh, they're fab. They're not gonna be like is he like these climate activists yeah, we're gonna be like the shit on things? Yep. Oh god, please. You go you'll go on to my knucklehead factor really quick, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is too, it's like I don't think like I don't think Jeff needs it anyway. He's he's, he's smart. He can he can find ways to win without, you know, uh getting the number one pick. And I think he knows that. Um but no, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic, and and I wonder what will become of it. Um, like I said, I'm 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 so ready for adding another element of strategy to to a main event. You know, um, like like we don't have enough of it already. Um, okay, tell me. Um, let's go to like early pitchers that you're that you're avoiding this year, um, or that you just think that will come a little bit short of their fantasy value for uh, 2024. Yeah, uh, great question. And Who do you got? You look at the early list. I mean, most of these guys I'd love to have, but the one guy my past self would draft that I'm hoping that <laughs> my, new, my new self is not going to. <laughs> and I love the per inning stuff. I mean, who doesn't? But Scooble, I'm just, I'm not going to take him at market. Uh, because again, I've, I've, I'm preaching about being boring early, not trying to smash pick value in the, what is he going right now? What's his latest ADP in recent weeks? Um, in the draft, is he's fourth round, or is he? Yeah, in the in the last uh, eleven draft champions, he's pick forty nine. Okay, average, so as early as twenty five. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, per inning, he was amazing last year, but he's a guy with two, I believe, major elbow injuries thus far in his career, and he's never exceeded one hundred forty plus innings. I think in a, I think his top was like 144 innings in a season, something like that. And I think the the average projection has him around that workload. 
So there's just a lot of assumptions. He's he's gonna match a career high for workload. He's gonna sustain that velo spike. Uh, the Tigers are gonna be you know competitive, and he's gonna maintain you know that dominant per inning. So I just if he moved down, if he slipped, he won't. But if he did, I might become open. But yeah, that's uh, this is my new self. I'm not chasing incredible upside early. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to respect health as a skill. I'm going to respect past playing time and I'm going to be boring. And we'll check back to see if I actually did any of this <laughs> after the main event. Because yeah. I was in my DC and I was sitting there. I was tempted to take him. I was, but then I, I ended up taking Adley in the fourth which I'm sure a lot of people don't like, but uh, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm uh, going to be more boring. I'm going to look at playing time and uh, we'll shoot for the the pitching, the strikeout upside elsewhere. That makes sense. I, I definitely um, wouldn't push back against that um, in, in, you know, in theory, because it, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you mentioned before, in that he steamer came out first and steamer loved him and i think a lot of the draft uh the the, the early drafting followed that yeah um, steamer's influence is crazy when you think yeah. about it yeah and i what was his like op- projected auction value is like 35 dollars or it's i mean he was right super. after strider or something he was like top four yeah no it's really it's really dynamite um you know um, he really, he was excellent coming back last season. I listened to the compound podcast with Ian Happ and, um, you know, Zach Short, who was on the Tigers last year, was talking about Scooble and he's like, the world ain't ready for him, you know? And, <laughs> and, and no, like he was saying it in season, you know, he's like, he's, He's he's coming back better than ever, and I just remember listening to it. And I was saving money for him in Fab anyway. Like I, I was like, Scoobles the guy I I need to save money for. I think he's just kind of like that non rookie impact pitcher that, you know, you're waiting to come out in Fab. Um, but I just think like it's hard not to look at what he's done and just be kind of like wow, like his Sierra has gone from three nine two to three five eight to two seven seven. The ground ball percentage from thirty eight five to forty six percent to fifty one point six percent, and the swinging strike is just flew up to fifteen percent. And what I found, like really, I think my my analysis this year has taken me to uh, not only looking at the the arsenal of a pitcher and how good it is, but how good it does versus like handedness, how they do versus lefties and righties, and like he had five pitches with an above um 10% swing strike rate versus righties and and that's just i don't know that's just hard to do and just hard to be so effective against the opposite handedness he just seems i i haven't taken him a lot because it's definitely aggressively high but i could see him as maybe someone in an auction where if someone if he's like kind of going maybe lower than he is and like in ADP wise, and I, I'd probably be jumping on him, but I love it. I don't want to miss out on him. That's why I do have, you know, some shares. But I, I, I have to um, definitely stop myself from always smashing it because I get it. There is some risk, um, but I can't deny like how good he, how he's become. He's actually become like 
what we always thought like hypothetically like oh if he adds this and if he does this <laughs> and he's become that guy and now like wait a minute this can't be him <laughs> yeah now i'm in the per pitch or the per inning work and in the arsenal as you all mentioned it's uh it was off the charts last year yeah uh, i just and i might very well be, be wrong maybe he's a end of the first round guy next year or so, you know something it's very possible i uh but I've put in these principles into place this year that I have to follow. You gotta follow them. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna try to win my draft in the first four rounds. So, like it. Uh, that makes we'll sense. See what happens. How are you, you with? Oh, okay, good. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not even like I know his schedule down the stretch. He played a lot of weak teams, but I'm not even penalizing him for that because I think the stuff is legit. We'll pretty much play against anyone anywhere if he stays healthy and if he maintains. Uh, what he did and not even that small of a sample, but you know, end of the year. So we'll see. I'm on record now. <laughs> see well, how see, that goes. My whole thing is if you're gonna, if you're gonna be picky about who someone played, are you applying that to everybody in the player pool? Right. No, right? So because I'm, I can give you, really I can give you some team schedules at the end of the year and, and be like, Oh really? You know, like, <laughs> like I, I've seen people make that point for, for schoolball and i'm just like okay but like you said his this the stuff is nasty it's gonna it's gonna play up versus 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 a lot of um a lot of bats you know um yeah. i mean maybe you're getting like strider in the fourth round if that is the case and he pitches 170 innings that's gonna be a massive massive uh edge the massive edge um <laughs> at, at one point do you um do you have Strider with all those good bats in the first round? Is there, do you, do you think like after, after Acuna, like Strider can be mentioned with the next bat or you think he's kind of, they're too good to be not drafted that you would wait for him like in the middle of the first. Yeah. Where you I mean, Strider? that's a great question right now. My values have him number two, but yeah. right. Basically in the same grouping as with, J-Rod. Uh, Carroll, I'm a little more nervous about just with the shoulder. I don't know that I want to... Like, the upside is immense, of course, but I think I would take those four ahead of him. And even Kyle Tucker, I just feel like, is super safe to uh, is. take him to top. Like, Kyle Tucker's a poster child of my new approach. Like, he's not very... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Kyle Tuckering my yeah, way. Kyle Tuckering your way. That's a great way to do it. You know? I mean, maybe he is very exciting to some people, but I feel like he's he's kind of replicated multiple seasons, and everyone's talking about other. Uh, anyway, yeah, I have Strider like right in that group, and I could see. I think you can justify him at two. I know he's not going that early, but the gap between him and the next pitcher and value is pretty substantial. So. That's what it is to me. Like where uh, I think. I think at some point in, in in that first round, even as much as I love all those batters, you know, that he 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 makes sense taking just because of that that gap between him and the next pitchers. Like I, I don't know. I see people push back on him and I don't think they fully realize he had two on two hundred and eighty strikeouts. You yeah. know, and that's just like there was like the hot like one of the highest totals in the last fifteen years. Like I think it was thirteenth. Um, and I still, I still amazed how little love he got in the Cy Young race. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. But um, 
It must have been because he said that he he wanted something with the fans, right? Uh, that that joke he made, and everyone took it to heart. <laughs> he, uh, I've also I spent some time with him last spring for profile, and I mean he's uh, he's basically a pitching scientist. I mean he, yeah, huh? re- he rebuilt himself after the Tommy John and Clemson, and just remade his. He basically became a. A, he sort of YouTubed himself. He didn't go to driveline or tread, but he did his own research. He worked with the Clemson uh, physical training and athletic staff and rebuilt his delivery and reshaped himself. That's uh, awesome. So he's a guy who I'm not even sure he's done improving. What if he adds another, he hasn't needed another pitch or wrinkle, but what if he adds one? Uh, right. You know, I still think he actually, it, it's hard to improve off what he did, but he also, <laughs> You know, I'm not sure he's done getting better. I'm not, I wouldn't, uh, you don't really need him to, to, <laughs> to, to do it. But a three, eight, six ERA last year, I think he's going to do much better than that. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, you couldn't ask for better support. Right. How many pitchers, uh, I mean, he's on the short list of guys who could possibly win 20 games. So, yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. A very real thing. We can't chase wins, but you could, you could confident and knows without a doubt um yeah i don't think he's done getting better he's just he's 25 years old he he got some uh he got some point for me being a uh a non-meat eater when i found that yes, out. Like, he is, yeah. he's he's <laughs> team rob yes let's go so um no, and that was cool that story yeah. too of like learning why he went that route uh i you know i didn't um i read a little bit up on him and i've read some articles and and he does seem like a truly you know, smart individual, and I would yeah, put it past so him getting better. Yeah, anything going into his body, super detail oriented. I mean, lots of these guys are, of course, to be at this level, but he might be even on the, uh, you know, a couple standard deviations away from the the median <laughs> player as yeah. far as that goes. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, you have any mid round bats that you like that can that wouldn't be surprised if they're approaching some of the higher rounds next year. Yeah, I felt like uh, Azuna just seems like a guy who, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> because he's U- UT only, or uh, I kind of kicked myself. And and we're not drafting the person, we're just drafting the stats. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, he seems like a guy in that lineup who I would not mind him, you know, hitting, repeating what he did. And that skill level is pretty, pretty robust. Uh, not that he would win a league, but Estrada and I think Giants are going to a much more stolen base friendly manager. And I think he he's kind of an arbitrage play on some of the the round six, seven, eight middle infielders. If you're trying to chase speed, I kind of I like him a little bit. Uh, you know, how many picks later is he going quite a bit? Who else yeah. do I who else do I like here? Uh now, some of the Solera, how do you feel about Solera going to San Francisco? He's never, some of this late power in the like early double digits rounds, Mike, I just wonder if I'm going to sit back like, oh, I, I needed more power on this team and these guys are just sitting there. Uh, so that's some mm-hmm. of those guys, J.D. Martinez, and I think I got him in the 18th round or something in my, he's, I mean, we'll see if he's even playing baseball this year, but uh <laughs> 
Hey, another guy, uh, right? That's yeah. All. The uh, the batted ball profile still. I know Dodger Stadium played pretty well for for home run power lately, but he still has a pretty elite batted ball profile. So he's another guy. Like some of this cheap power with uh, mm-hmm. it's going in the the early to later double digit rounds. I, I kind of like that area. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on those guys? I Soler is a guy I had a ton of last year because he was going like past two, two fifty ish, and I just, you know, I, I I put it like just that was easy pick because it was really late. Um, I, I tend to, and also in my last two years, and looking back at my teams, it's a it's a, just a, pro, a little practice I've done the last two years. I really just look back and see what I'm not capturing, and I've been short on power uh, for the last two seasons so i should be focusing more on players like that so where i don't know the giants scare me in all sorts of ways there's no reason they should be you know not playing him like he's one of the guys that he shouldn't be getting platooned but i don't know they have so many guys there now that are just clogging lanes for pt um yeah, I don't see any, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. If your build calls for a power guy there, I'm just being a little bit more conscious with power up top. And uh, I guess I'm trying to fill out the back ends a little differently. It's why I don't probably don't have much of Solaire or Otsuna. Um, I mean, Otsuna, yeah. I mean, he, he changed leagues last year. If anyone dropped him and, and, and you picked him up or vice versa, or if you did drop him and you lost all that production, it was such a big difference maker from what he just started to mash every single day he just i mean i think people forget like he started off the season not playing nearly every day and uh he just found his rhythm and the braves just don't really platoon anybody so he just stayed in all season long jdm yeah i mean i don't know i have a little bit of a brain fog with these ut guys (laughs) i named a bunch of ut guys uh yeah no it's i mean that's it's one so, thing that stood out to me is like because I did lack some power last year. I'm like, hmm, look at all these. Yeah, uh, I can be a little more balanced early, and then go grab uh, one of these UT bats just languishing there. Yeah, I love them. I think they're like I think if they had a position attached to them, obviously they probably would be going a little higher. But I feel like I'd probably be a little bit more interested in them. I guess it's just the way I draft my draft champions and like how early I get into my starting pitching depth that it's later bats for me and that I always feel like having a UT in there would kind of clog my my flow there and limit the guys that I'm taking later. So, and also too, it's just cause that's kind of the area, like the 150, 160 area where I'm just really, I'm very scared of the starting pitchers after 200. I, I think there's a, you know, there's obviously some that, that I like, but if you're in a draft with other people who like those pitchers and you're you're not already at SP three or SP four, it could be pretty dangerous. Oh yeah. So well, that's another <laughs> yeah. that's another lesson from last year where I did not have uh, the requisite pitching depth. I was mm-hmm. I mean a third of the way through the year, I was actually uh, a top ten main event, and I was feeling really good about things. Like this is a you know this is this is interesting. But then, uh, I was relying on guys like. Mitch Keller and Joe Ryan, and they all, they dropped off and I didn't have the depth to, and I of course had DeGrom, like, you know, I kept doing for multiple years and it fell apart. So this year, uh, yeah, pitching, 
<laughs> I think you're absolutely right. After that 200 mark or 230 mark, like it's very uh, dicey to be counting mm-hmm. on pitchers. So I'm sure we'll be seeing them pushed up boards. Uh, I do like a lot of the, like a bow nailer, some of these number two catcher types. Yeah. I'm really intrigued with a lot of them yes. as far as mid round. I want to have two catchers by round 12 because uh, I really like that second tier. And I think it's maybe an, a way to create a little playing time edge is to, uh, to buy into that this year. So I, I did that and I wanted, I, I ended up with Garver as my catcher too. He was the last kind of on my, my list that I wanted, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's an area, another area I like to attack, uh, middle round. Yeah. I'm in on that. Absolutely. And those, all those guys are going in that same area too, as the Otsuna Soler. And I just think that's why it's usually pitchers or catchers me in that area yeah. or or if i miss shortstop it's like adames and and story and tovar you know so i have a specific group of players that i like there and yeah the starting pitching depth is huge i think that's the biggest thing that i'll tell uh often the people on the discord or in the patreon is that like you don't have to fill out your team but you know like your starters like i have no problem I think last year in one of my main events, uh, four of my outfielders came after round 23. Oh, wow. Um, you know, like I I want to have, and I think Rob Silver talked about this too, but like, you you know, you walk around in Vegas and you look at some draft boards and you're staring at um, some stuff. And like, honestly, I'm looking at pictures, you know, sp 7 through 10 or 7 through like 9 through 12 or whatever how many you want to roster you know and i i feel like i want to beat that game i want to beat everyone in that area because like you said it it, it it's tough and especially if you don't want to fab rookies for an, a, an absurd amount i mean i had to i was forced to in some leagues uh, because of jacob de grom um <laughs> i love the grom i'll never stop draft i mean this year i have none of him despite him being you know, decently affordable in a draft champion, but last year I just couldn't. I just couldn't help. I can't help myself. If he's healthy, he's he's gonna be on my brain until he's until his arm falls off. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just and it just just him himself. I, I I'm just he just seems like one of those guys who like mentally just wills his way through a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I love that fierce competitiveness, like that, 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 that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, like slay, like look on his face when he plays. Uh, I, I love that. But yeah. Um, yeah. So th- starting pitching depth is huge. And I think that's definitely something like, even in these draft champions, like I, I will have no problem getting to eight or nine starters before I even have all my, you know, bat, um, and filled in and i think it's important to have that because either that then you're looking for innings for marco gondola and martin perez and there's nothing wrong with that for spot starts but if you're relying on like 120 innings of them <laughs> yeah no that's definitely i think it's another mistake that people like myself new to the the format have made and in that dc i was much more aware of trying to fill out get to those seven eight nine starting pitchers that you feel comfortable using on on day one uh, get those guys before you know be win that race as you said and be competitive yep. there because i definitely have lot, lost that the last few years and uh yeah that's a, that's great advice for folks 
All right, let's end this up with some some prospects you like really late in draft champions leagues. And I also wanted to tie it into do you take stock into quote unquote the organization when you're looking at some of these players? Because I know we tend to trust and believe in some more than others. So does that have a role in some of the prospects you might be looking into to fill out your teams? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I um I saw the Na- Mike Rizzo had the Nationals put up this sign that in their spring training bullpens, uh, <laughs> someone it says, uh, "I don't care how fast you throw a ball for," and it's behind like all the pitchers' mounds, along along with like the TrackMan device is this sign that says, and I just think that's uh, it's antithetical to <laughs> the good player development process. You want to build underlying skills. Look at average major league fastball velocity. It keeps going up. The best pitchers generally throw hard. It creates margin for error. Everything works better off velocity. So to have this message of, you know, throw strikes, and you know, coaches yelling throw strikes from from the dugout never works anyway. It's just, <laughs> it's just bad. It's just antithetical to all modern training practices. And uh, so yeah, I see that, and I'm like, here's a club that they have all the resources. They have the edge of cameras, and like everybody other else they have track man they're tracking but it's not it's not just about the tools it's how you use them it's the coaches it's the training practices so a, a club like the guardians they have such a good track record with uh like last year i did have some tanner bybee and espino who got hurt unfortunately in my draft champions and uh, some ocs because yeah i trust they know what they're doing they know how to develop pitching and they have this infrastructure and process that's been in place for years and it keeps cranking guys out. So I will be more likely to, uh, to trust, to trust an arm like from that or, or the Orioles, I think have developed. It's basically the old Houston Astros regime, essentially that's transplanted those very excellent player development practices in Baltimore. And we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing it. And uh, I owe you, if I have any success this year, I owe you a tip for McDermott. And I, I took him. In, uh, I think the 49th round, and uh, oh, he, he might be huge right now with yeah, Bradish out and Means hurt. Oh, I baby, yeah. I know he's a huge topic right now in the I Discord. You, in my Discord, it's, 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 a, it's a, <laughs> well, and and no, that was that was born out of of not only I like you know what I saw from him changing levels, but also too of 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 taking the tea leaves of them not making any moves for pitchers you know when everyone was screaming they should make moves for pitchers i'm just thinking well maybe why aren't they <laughs> you know and i just dug into their you know to the minor league pitchers like oh maybe they just think they're gonna get 130 innings from chase mcdermott or kate povich you know and um that that's how that was born out of and then i just started taking them in every draft <laughs> yeah no i have a insane level of trust for how the orioles go about yeah. developing young players so makes sense uh, I'm all about uh, anyone coming through their system. So yeah, I, that's. I think it's interesting when a team brings in someone new, like the White Sox, uh, with a, you know, oh, Bannister, Brian Bannister. Yeah. yeah so um, yeah. that's hmm, what could happen there. Or uh, you know, the Red Sox have this relationship now with Kyle Bodie and, and the new GM. Uh, so yeah, Bless, can they get yeah, can they get more out of these guys? Yeah. And then even brought uh, Jeff Willard over from the Twins, and you saw how the Twins pitchers just really like. I, that's another thing that you know we people have trouble quantifying. But when you you know how can you not have a little bit more excitement for that organization? Right. You know when you see the results of the past organizations they were involved with. 
Absolutely. So uh, yeah, that doesn't quite answer your question, but yeah, I have McDermott. I I like Drew Thorpe. I like his, uh, I think he's in, I don't know how much run he'll get this year, but he was one of my late shots So DC. Mm-hmm. Man, I was trying to look at some guys who are six or seven on the depth chart. So like uh, Mick Abel, I don't, uh, he was my last pick. I was, I was okay. trying to be, uh, so yeah, will he get a shot? Could he get, he could, I felt I was trailing a little bit in strikeouts. So could he be up at some point and be pitching for a good team, uh, racking up K's? So not that these are anyone's first, I wasn't trying to select the first prospects. Uh, Max Meyer I have too, who's another um, after mm. 30 rounders. So will he get, I know he he's coming off TJ, but he's been pretty removed from it. And the slider should miss bats and yeah. Miami. Should I trust Miami? I feel like their track record is <laughs> pretty yeah. good with arms. So we'll I mean, see. if they move Cabrera too, like it's been reported, right? Then yeah. then that's that could be even nicer. He could, he could be primed to more more workload than we anticipated. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like I like to think about what is hardest to teach, uh, and I think even though I was just criticizing the Nationals for their ball four sign, I do think command is. We see guys add velo all the time now and add a sweeper or whatnot, shape, sharpen a pitch. But I think command training is like a frontier that is uh, not as well established. And so if a guy owns that skill today, I like – because that's what the Guardians did. I mean, they drafted Shane Bieber and Zavale and Bybee. They've drafted a lot of you know strike-throwing good command guys out of the college and they've added velocity to them. They've added breaking balls and I, so maybe Drew Thorpe will never have a great breaking ball, but what if he does add something to go with the command and the changeup? Uh, and the, the Padres are going to need starting pitching, just looking at their depth chart. So he was <laughs> a guy. So. so I like, I think he could be a quick mover and get up there. So he was, I'm trying not in my earliest DCs. I really loaded up on prospects. I'm trying to limit that exposure, but those mm-hmm. are the guys I took a shot on in my my CLQ. Nice, nice. I like that. I like that. I think it's um it's definitely it's definitely a black uh, a balance. You know, you can go you can go old and boring because there's still you know even like I said the Martin Perez, Marco Gonzalez, the Randall Grichuk. There's there's those those are veterans who you know who. Well, Grichik is still a free agent, but you know who you can expect to be on teams and and produce and just get some volume from you. And then you know you got to find the right balance between picking them and also picking the like the Lawrence Butlers of the world and just you know guys may, maybe you think will get some run on even if in a platoon spot. It's 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 definitely it's definitely um interesting, especially because like last year I I I didn't take any of the Bryce Millers or uh ellie de la cruz and you know watching my friend be like oh yeah put him into my lineup now i'm like oh <laughs> fuck man like oh my like, baby yeah yeah so this year i'm again trying to find that right balance of of not like overdoing it but not underdoing it either you know getting taking shots where um it, it fits the team you know um, no, yeah for sure i think that's great Cool, man. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's it's in, in true pull hitter form. We are approaching two hours, and uh, I'm definitely all I'm I'm always appreciative of, of. I tell everyone, thank you for taking the time out to spend you know spend some of your life with me because, like you said, you have a family, you have kids, and I truly uh, don't take that for granted. So I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today. 
Yeah, no, thanks for being interested in speaking with me. And you know, I do a lot of long form journalism, so it's good to be on a long form podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Tell everyone where to find you, where to find your work. Uh, I'm sure they're familiar, but just remind them anyway. Yeah, right for the the score. Uh, it's even if you don't want to read my stuff, it's great for box scores and news. It's it really is a great app ecosystem. So go check us out. And I'm on Twitter, just uh, or X, Travis underscore Sacha. Follow me there. So uh, yeah, it was great. It's great chatting, man. Great hanging out. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to meet you in Vegas, and uh, we'll enjoy a nice main event draft and uh, see what we could do afterwards. But appreciate you hanging out, and thanks for everyone to tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Be well, and don't be a bag of shit. <laughs>